Hi, and welcome to the Life Source Christian Church Audio Lounge with Senior Ministers John and Anne Juliano. Have you ever wondered about how to better connect with God? Well, that's exactly what we're going to help you with in this week's show, where you'll learn how to more fully love God, grow spiritually, and help others. Thank you to Pastor John and Anne for having me. It's great to be at Life Source Church. I've heard a lot about your church, but it's great to be here. And uh, thank you to all the people that uh, my son and I have met already who have made us feel so welcome. We've really enjoyed our time with you. Uh, I'm married to Samantha. She's really cute. And uh, we have two uh, sons, twins, uh, Yosef and Biniam. Uh, people ask us, why did you give your children such strange names? To which I reply, we didn't give our children any names at all. Those were the names they arrived with. Uh, we adopted our boys from Ethiopia uh, when they were six months old. They were born to a 15-year-old homeless girl who was HIV positive. Uh, she gave birth to the boys and then disappeared. We've tried unsuccessfully a couple of times uh, to find her, uh, but we always honor her because she gave our boys what we could never have given them. She gave them a life. And it's been our privilege to give those boys what she could not, a home, a family, and Xbox. <laughs> and uh, I've actually got a photograph of, of the boys. I might put it up if, if we've got it there. Um, have you got it? Any moment. So that's them. And in fact, Joseph is here with it. Why don't you just quickly stand up, Joseph, so people can see how handsome you are. People say, why did you adopt from Africa? Well, a couple of reasons. Firstly, no one with my genetic makeup will ever win gold at an Olympic athletic event. But how many of you know Africans can run? And so uh, in about 10 years from now, you should expect to see a McPherson claiming gold for Australia, or as my sons like to call it, Australiopia. And the second reason we adopted from Africa is, uh, well, well, look at me. Um, you can tell I'm white. I have no rhythm whatsoever, but black folk can move. And so by virtue of adoption, our family now has what the young people call swag. You know, someone once asked us, do the boys know they're adopted? You understand I'm from Queensland. We're a little slow up there. I said they're adopted, not completely stupid. Joe got into bed with us one morning. He looked at me and he said, Daddy, we're not the same. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm chocolate. I said, well, what am I? He looked at me for a long time and said, mm, you're vanilla. We went on holidays to Daydream Island and I got badly sunburned. And he came to me and said, Dad, you're not vanilla, you're strawberry. So if we're like Neapolitan. We've got every flavor happening in our home. When we go out, people always look at our family a little strangely. In fact, people used to come up to our kids very concerned about them, though we were only meters away. They would come up to our boys and say, are you boys all right? Where's your mummy and daddy? And I would love the expression on people's faces when our kids pointed at us. And so isn't it obvious we're with them? And we would just smile politely unless our kids were misbehaving. In which case we would look back and say, what do they look like our kids? I've never seen them before in my life. <laughs> it's true. We were at shops recently and both our boys were misbehaving. They were quite feral. And my wife is stressing out. And I said to her, I want to enjoy this coffee. You can too. Turn away from them and pretend they're not ours. No one will ever know. <laughs> See, you can't do that with your children, but we can with ours. The other great thing about adoption is anything good about our kids, that's nurture. Anything bad, that's biology. That's not my fault. 
And so uh, we, we love our kids. They make us laugh constantly. We, um, we had an African-American preacher in our church just recently, Reggie Dabbs. Some of the young people will know him. All you need to know is he's a big African-American man. And he was speaking in our church. And so I told our kids, church is going to be awesome. We've got a chocolate preacher. And uh, so they were pretty excited to meet him. We got to the service and they're like, Dad, where is he? And just at that moment, Reggie Dabbs, a big African-American man, he walked through the door. And my son, Joseph, looked at Reggie Dabbs, looked back at me and said, Dad, that's a lot of chocolate. <laughs> and so, uh, so that's, while I'm talking about my boys, I, can, I, can I show you the moment that we first met them? We actually got a video that shows that the moment we first laid eyes on our boys when we went to an orphanage in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, and, and met them. Have, have a look at the screens. You've been allocated twin baby boys. Those six words ended six years of waiting when we sat across from a social worker from the Queensland government and she explained that we'd been allocated children. I, I said, did, did, did you say twins? She said, that's right. To, to adopt a child had been our dream, but to adopt Two children, twins no less, was amazing. I said, did you say twin baby? She said, yes, we thought we'd probably be allocated older children, but to be adopted babies is awesome because that means most of their dysfunction will have been your doing, not somebody else's. And to adopt not just twins and not just twin babies, but twin baby boys, we felt like we had won the inter-country adoption jackpot. I said, what are their names? This was an important question because we'd already decided whatever their names were, we would keep their names because they would probably be the only things they came to us with. We just hoped we would be able to pronounce our children's names. The social worker rifled through her paperwork and she said their names are Biniam and Yosef, which we immediately understood as being the Ethiopian versions of Joseph and Benjamin, my favorite Bible characters. I looked at my wife and I said, the only way this could be any more perfect is if they arrived from Africa, fully fledged supporters of the North Melbourne Kangaroos AFL football team, which is my team. My wife looked at me like I'm an idiot. The social worker looked at me like they should reconsider our suitability to adopt. And yet, when we arrived in an orphanage in Addis Ababa, just after that video was finished, as we're leaving, they said, let's take a photograph of the boys before you go. I said, sure. And so we posed for a photo and they said, no, no, let's put them on the ground, which I thought unusual, but when in Rome, do as Ethiopians do. And, and so we were about to put them on the ground. They said, well, wait, wait, we'll put a mat on the ground and photograph them on the ground. I said, fine. So we stood there and I watched as in an orphanage in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, they bought out a North Melbourne kangaroos AFL mat, <laughs> laid it on the ground and put our kids on it for a photo. By the way, my kids support the North Melbourne Kangaroos in the AFL, not because I've made them, but because God himself declared it. <laughs> the Bible says God can give you the desires of your heart. I want to talk about our story of adoption because the Bible uses many words to describe what God has done for each of us through the person of Jesus. The Bible says that through Jesus, we have been saved, we've been redeemed, we've been rescued, we've been born again. But my favorite Bible word, to describe what God has done for you and I through Jesus is the word adoption. The Bible says that through Jesus, we have all been adopted into the family of God. How many of you know we're all orphans? Every single one of us was born estranged from our Father in heaven. And if you can understand our journey of adoption, it will give you an insight, an imperfect one to be sure, but an insight nonetheless into the love of God for each of us. You know, uh, people ask us, why did you adopt children? And I can tell you 
the reason we didn't adopt children. We didn't adopt children because we felt like we needed them. Our life was brilliant before we had kids. We had a great marriage. We lived in a great home. We drove great cars. We had great friends. We were part of a great church. We loved our jobs. Our life was really, really good. In fact, it was so good. And here's why we adopted children. It just seemed kind of wrong not to be sharing it with somebody. We didn't adopt children because we had this graping hole in our life that desperately needed to be filled. We really had a wonderful life. But we looked around at the blessing of God toward us and it just didn't seem right not to share it with somebody else. Isn't that the reason we invite people to come to our church? Because we have amazing worship, we have great ministry, we have amazing people. When you're in a church this good, it just doesn't seem right not to want to open it up and share it with other people. We didn't adopt children because we needed help mowing the lawn or we wanted people to do the dishes. It wasn't like we were looking for minions to push around or servants to enslave. We just wanted to share the good life that we had with somebody else. You know, in like fashion, people have this weird misconception about God, that that God wants us to become Christians because he's looking for minions to push around or he's looking for people to, to serve him. But God's actually not looking for anything from you as if you've got anything that God needs. By definition, God has need of nothing and no one. Try to think of something that God needs. He doesn't need shelter in which to seek refuge. He doesn't need clothing to to, to put on. He doesn't need medicine to feel better or the atmosphere to be just right. God doesn't need anything or anyone. So why did he create us? Not for what he could get from us, but for what he could get to us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit conspired together and agreed, heaven is so good, it's just not right to not share it with somebody. And so God opened his heart to you and I, not for what he could get from us. Get rid of this idea that that God's trying to get things from you. God has never tried to get anything from you. God just wants to give himself to you. And when you realize that, you stop being defensive as if God is trying to take from you and you start opening your heart, realizing God is just trying to get his love to you. People ask us, was it difficult to adopt children? To which I reply, it wasn't difficult. It was just long and expensive. It took six years and cost about $35,000. But don't tell our children that because they want to play NBA basketball. We've told them their adoption cost millions so that when they get their contract, they can reimburse us. But it's actually only about $35,000. We actually tell them that it was $35,000 to adopt one and the other was thrown in as a gift with purchase. They're trying to work out who was the freebie. Six years of interviews and paperwork. And I remember sitting with a social worker in our home and the social worker said, well, if you are to be approved by the Queensland government to adopt children, you'll need to get a new house. I said, what's wrong with the house we've got? We had a beachfront apartment. And when I say beachfront, I don't mean across the road from the beach. I mean right on the beach. When we opened the balcony doors from our bedroom, the ocean was right there. The social worker said, to be approved to adopt children, you've got to have a backyard. You don't have a backyard. It's an apartment. We said, the beach is our backyard. No, she wasn't impressed either. And so we loved that apartment. I mean, it was the joy of our lives. And it took us all of half a second to decide to put it on the market and sell it. 
We will move to the suburbs. We will do whatever we need to do. We will get rid of whatever it takes to make room for Joe and Ben to be part of our lives. The social worker said to my wife, do you work? She said, yeah, I love my job. I work three days a week. The social worker said, well, you'll have to quit your job because in Queensland uh, terms, you have to be um, fully devoted to the children full-time for at least the first two years after you adopt them. Well, my wife loved her job. I mean, she drew great satisfaction from her place of employment, but immediately resigned her job because there is nothing that we would not have done to make it possible for Joe and Ben to be part of our lives. Well, in like fashion, the Bible says that Jesus was the jewel of heaven, but sacrificed on the cross of Calvary for you and I so that we could be forgiven and become part of the family of God, which means this. It means that there was no lengths to which God would not go in order to make room for you and I in his family. Every Easter, I'm reminded of conclusive proof as to the breadth and depth of God's love for me that on the cross of Calvary, Jesus died so that I could be part of his family. How great is the love of God when you realize the lengths he was willing to go to so that you and I could be called his children? Someone asked us, did did you bond immediately with the children or did it take a while before they sort of felt like yours? It's a fair enough question. And uh, the fact is, uh, we waited six years to adopt our children, and every day we thought this could be the day. And so we would pray every day for our children, figuring that they're alive somewhere, and if they're orphaned, then Jesus, watch over them, take care of them, protect them, not realizing we prayed for six years for children that hadn't even been born yet. But in the process of praying for six years, something happened in our hearts. When the social worker sat opposite us and said, you've been allocated twin boys, Yosef and Benjamin, that's not when we got children. That's just when we knew what to call the children that were already very much alive in our hearts. I hope to make a point in church by quoting a boy band, much less Savage Garden, but I will. They once sang a song that said, I loved you before I met you. I dreamed you into life. We'd been loving our boys for six years. We loved our boys before we ever met them. Well, in like fashion, the psalmist says that God knew us even when we were in our mother's womb. When we were yet unformed, God knew us and God loved us. All the days ordained for us were written in his book before one of them came to pass. Maybe you've asked this question or you've heard somebody say, could God really love someone like me? To which I reply, God always loved someone like you. He loved you before you were born. All your days were written in his book before one of them came to pass. Oh, the love of God toward us. When you realize the lengths to which he was willing to go to have you and I as part of his family. You know, one of the most common questions that people ask us about adoption is, did you have to go to Africa to get them? And I say, are you serious? Do you realize how far Africa is? No way did we go there. I remember when we arrived home one afternoon and I drove the car up our driveway and there was a box on the front steps of our home. And I said to my wife, have you been shopping online again? And she swore she hadn't, but I know it's shoes. And as we approached that box, there was squeaking coming from the box. It was sort of moving a little bit. I remember when we opened it and pulled out the polystyrene and these two little African boys. Of course we went to Africa to get them. There's no way they could have ever gotten to us. I mean, how could two orphan babies ever get themselves to Australia? That's ne- they wouldn't have even thought to have done that. And even if they'd had the thought, what possible way could they take in order to get to we were? We had to go 
to them. Well, of course, Jesus is the one who left his home in heaven. The word became flesh. He came to where we are. It's the incarnation, the celebration at Christmas. That Christianity is different to every other religious philosophy on the planet because it's the only one that tells me the truth. Think about it. Every other religious philosophy says that by turning over a new page, by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, you may be able to get yourself to where God is. If you pray five times a day, if you visit Mecca, if you are born over and over and over again. Even a secular society says that by science and technology, we can perfect ourselves and we know it's a lie. Every January 1st, I determined to be a better person because I know I should be. I didn't need a church to tell me I should be a better person. I know it instinctively. I should be better than I am. And every January 2nd, I determined to put it off for another 12 months. Because I've learned by trial and error and mostly error, no matter how hard I try, I never seem to get it right. You can never get to where God is. This is why I believe the Christian message, because no man would have thought of it. Every religious philosophy appeals to our pride. Because it says you can be good enough for God if you do enough good things. And I say, yeah, I can do enough good things. Not like them. They're bad people, but I'm a lot better than them. I'm mostly a good person. It appeals to pride. Christianity destroys our pride. That's why no one would ever have thought of it. Because the Christian faith says you can never get to where God is, so quit trying. The only way you can ever be united with God is if God himself comes to you. What an amazing truth and we know in our hearts it's right how could i ever ascend to where god is but i'm so grateful that jesus came to me oh a god who condescends to our level who stoops to where we are at meets us where we are and then begins to help us rise with his strength and his power the truth is Uh, We could have paid extra money for someone to bring the boys to Australia. But there's another reason we wanted to go to Africa. And that is that we wanted to be able to say to them, we've been where you were. We've walked the streets. We've tasted the tastes. We've smelled the smells. We've we've been to where you were born. We, We wanted to be able to say to our kids, we get where you're from. Not academically. We've been there. We've experienced it personally. This was important to us. You know, the Bible says that when we pray, We don't pray to a God who is unsympathetic to what it's like to be human. But we pray to a God, Jesus, who is tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. In other words, when we pray, we're not praying to a distant deity who has an academic knowledge of what it might be like to be you. But rather we're praying to a person who's experienced distress and rejection and who's been ignored and who's been rebuffed and who's known hunger and thirst and weariness. When we pray to Jesus, we're praying to someone who actually gets us. It's different to every other religion and every other faith. Whatever other God you care to name, none of them understand the human condition as Jesus does because he's been where we're at. He's walked the streets, experienced the gamut of human emotions. And when you pray, understanding who he is, it changes the way you pray. Because you realize you're not praying to a God who's so lofty he couldn't possibly know what it's like to be you. But you're praying to a God who gets it. Because he's been there, yet without sin. But he knows what it's like to be in the frailty of humanity. I, um, I've got black kids. You're not really allowed to say black these days, but I've taught our kids, if, if someone ever calls you black, don't get upset about it. It's brilliant. Every color works on you. 
<laughs> it's like awesome. I'm jealous. I've got black kids. That's not a problem. I'm, I'm used to that. But, but, but one day I'll have black grandkids. That's weird. Let me tell you why. Because our kids will carry on the McPherson. The McPherson's from Scotland. Are all black folk from now on. That's strange. By virtue of adoption, the McPherson family forever looks completely different. Did you know that by virtue of adoption, God himself forever looks completely different? In order to adopt us, the word, the eternal word of God became flesh. Jesus became flesh. Not just for a moment. The Bible says there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Have you ever had your next door neighbor, knowing that you're going to church, shout over the fence, put in a good word with the man upstairs for me, would you? Not realizing they are enunciating a deep theological truth. That in heaven on the throne of God sits a man. Jesus, think about this. When you arrive in heaven, you're not going to get scared by a ghost or an alien. You'll meet someone who looks just like you. God in flesh forever. Here's the point. Some people are a little shy about really committing to Jesus because they're worried about what Jesus might ask of them. What if God asked me to change? What if God asked me to give up this or to change that or whatever? And I don't know what God is going to ask you to change. I have no idea. But I do know this. Long before God asks you or I to change anything, he changed himself. This is the God of the universe changed himself in order to make it possible for you and I to be part of his family. So when he asks me to change something, I, I approach him with confidence and not with fear because he's not asking me to do anything that he himself has not done first. When you realize God changed who he is to make it possible for you and I to be part of his family, you start to realize anything God asks of us is only for our good and only for our welfare. You can trust him. When um, we were allocated our children, uh, we wanted as much information about them as we could possibly get, uh, particularly a photo, like, you know, because we wanted to make sure they were from Ethiopia and rather than having two heads from Tasmania. And so we were, um, we were pretty keen to see a photo. And, uh, and they didn't have any photograph at all. They had, all they had was, you know, twins, six months old, Yosef and Bidiam. We're like, have you, is there anything more you can tell us? And the social worker rifled through her, her file and she said, oh, oh, here we go. That The Ethiopian authorities described them as happy and handsome. My wife got really excited. Oh, they're happy and handsome. I said, sweetheart, they're trying to get us to adopt them. They're hardly going to say we've got a couple of kids. They're sad and ugly. Would you like them? They're all happy and handsome. And uh, as it's turned out, they're very happy. And how handsome is he? Man. He's practically Zoolander. And so uh, we, um, we brought them home at the end of September 2005. And so it's only a couple of months before Christmas. We'd never really celebrated Christmas in our home in the sense of, you know, decorations and stuff. Because it was just the two of us. It seemed kind of pointless going to too much effort. But now we've got children. And so we are going to have a proper family Christmas. My wife went and for the first time in our married life, she went and bought a Christmas tree. She spent $800. Even Santa thought it was a little excessive. And so uh, we're so excited. There's presents under the tree. And, and in the course of all that, we'd taken our kids to our local GP because we thought, you know, we've got them from Africa and they say they're all fine, but now they're our responsibility. So we don't want to take someone else's word for it. Let's just get our GP to, you know, run his eye over them and just do a blood test and whatever. Just make sure they're, they're good. Well, just a few weeks before Christmas, our first Christmas together, 
our GP calls me. How many of you know you're meant to call your GP? He's not meant to call you. That's never a good call. And so he said, can you talk? That didn't sound good. And, and so he began to tell me that they'd found HIV antibodies in our boy's blood. I said, well, what does that mean? He said, we can't test directly for HIV in babies, but we can test for antibodies that you create to fight the virus if you've got it. He said, they've got antibodies in their blood. I said, okay. He said, there's two possibilities. One is that mum had HIV and has transferred HIV to the boys. They've got the virus, and so now they're producing antibodies to fight it. The other possibility is that mum had HIV, didn't transfer the virus, but has transferred some of her antibodies into the boy's blood. We will only know after 12 months of testing to see whether the antibody level remains constant. It means the boys are producing them in response to the virus. Or if the antibody level diminishes and after 12 months is non-existent, it means it's just from mum, they don't have the virus. My first thoughts were not for the welfare of the boys. My first thoughts were for my wife. So I'm thinking, she's going to be devastated when she hears this. I, I mean, these boys are just everything we've imagined. Life is so amazing. And now they might be HIV positive. So I took her out for coffee and explained to her what I've just explained to you. And, and I'm kind of tearing up as I'm telling her, not because I'm worried about the, the boys might be sick. I'm just at that moment just concerned for how Sam is going to react. And she looks at me after a long while. She, she speaks and she says, all right, two things. We're a preaching family, so everything, you know, is two or three points in every discussion. <laughs> and she says, um, normally they, there's alliteration involved. And uh, she says, um, number one, let's believe they don't have HIV. I said, good, you've been listening to Maya. That's a great, great point. Let's be positive. She said, number two, um, if they are HIV positive, what an amazing thing that God would trust us to be able to care for them. And I looked at her and I thought, I didn't just marry you because you're really, really good looking. You're like a Christian. (laughs) I had a preacher friend say to me, James, don't worry, they won't be HIV positive. God loves you too much to give you HIV positive kids. And I thought, that's right, God loves me. He wouldn't give me HIV positive kids. And then I thought, what if God loved two HIV positive kids so much? He gave them me. Mother Teresa once said, problems are a sign that God believes in you. I just wish he didn't believe in me quite so much. Sometimes we think if we've got problems, it's God's punishment or or God's judgment. No, maybe God's just got more confidence in you than you've got in yourself. We had 12 months of HIV testing and thank God they were fine. Here's what I learned though. Yeah, thank God. Still don't keep their rooms tidy, but HIV free. And um, here's what I learned. If, if we'd been told, we've got a couple of kids for you to adopt, but they may be HIV positive. You know what I would have said? Honestly, I would have said, do you have any other kids needing adoption? Because let's be honest, there are millions of kids needing adoption. So why would you adopt two HIV positive kids when you could just as easily adopt another couple of kids and, uh, who don't have HIV? You're still helping kids, right? Two kids are going to be helped either way. So why wouldn't you help the kids who don't have the dysfunction? who don't have the health issues. If, if I had known in advance, I may have said, have you got a couple of other kids? Here's the amazing thing. When you adopt children, you really don't know what you're getting. But when you have biological children, you don't know what you're getting. You're surprised by your children. Some of you have been shocked by your children because they're more like you than you thought. But God is neither shocked nor surprised. God knew in advance what a screw-up you are. 
while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God knew in advance how dysfunctional, how failing, how frail and how faulty you are. And he still said, I want you as part of my family. Oh, the love of God towards us. God is not surprised by how stupid you are. God is not shocked by how many mistakes you make. We think, oh, I've blown it now. God won't possibly love me now. God saw it coming in advance and still said, I want you as part of my family. When you realize that God invited you to be part of his family, knowing full well in advance how messed up you are, and he still said, I want you. Man, the peace and the confidence that fills your heart. I'll never forget our kids' first prayer. The first prayer of a child is very important, especially when you're a preacher. It better be a good one. Well, I mean, it's just got to be a better prayer than, you know, the children of the board members would pray. And let's face it, we've all met the kids from the board members. It's not hard to have a better. And so we, we, I remember when we were praying. And, um, and, and Joe's first prayer, he's about two years old. We, we said, you know, bedtime prayers. And then I think my wife said, do you boys want to pray? And, and Joe volunteered. He's about two or three years old. His first prayer, I'll quote it to you. I've never forgotten it verbatim. These are the exact words. Dear Jesus, skateboard. Amen. <laughs> no, don't you laugh. I was horrified. It's all right for you. I'm a man of the cloth. My children cannot pray such materialistic, self-centered prayers. I'm like, Father, forgive him. He knows not what he does. Son, pray again and make it holy. Make it spiritual. And then I got to think, I wonder what his first prayer would have been had he been in an orphanage in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. I don't imagine his first prayer would have been for a skateboard. It might have been for food. It might have been for someone to come alongside and love him. But by virtue of adoption, his expectation about what was possible completely changed and fast. He's two or three years old and already he's realized it's a different horizon now. The potential, the possibilities are vastly different. I remember we were racing to catch a flight. We're running late. We're, we're li literally running through the terminal to the gate. When one of the kids, they're about four years old, one of them says, can we go to Qantas Club? We said, no, we don't have time. And immediately they refused to take another step. <laughs> that They stood and they refused to walk another step. There were tears. There were stomping of feet. We want to go to the lounge. And I turned to my wife and I said, what a remarkable thing. That less than four years ago, they were orphans in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And yet today, Qantas Club is their human right. <laughs> How their horizon has changed. How many of you know, we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his glorious light. In other words, the future is different now by virtue of the fact I'm part of the family of God. Whatever my biological family's history is, and I thank God for my biological history with all of its dysfunction and mess and, and trauma, but I'm now part of the family of God. And so it's not my biology now that's directing my destiny. It's my Father in heaven. And so that's why he's called the glory and the lifter of my head. Because when I realize I've been adopted into the family of God, I have permission to start to dream like I've never dared dream before. Some friends of ours adopted three children, older children, from Ethiopia. And they were telling us how just a few months after bringing them home to Australia, they had found food stockpiled under their kids' beds. They'd been going at night to the pantry, raiding the cupboard and putting tinned food and, and, and packet mixes and stuff under their beds. And their adoptive parents said to them, what are you doing? And the kids explained, we were just we're really sorry, we didn't mean to be in trouble. We, we just weren't sure if there'd be food next week. And I remember getting a bit teary when I heard the story because I'm thinking, 
these kids, don't, don't they realize they're, they're not where they were? It's a different world. You, you don't have to worry about whether or not there's going to be food next week. You, you don't have to live. You're in a different family now. And yet how many people in the church and in the kingdom of God are still living as if they are entirely left to their own devices and dependent upon their own wits. When, when their father in heaven says, I want you to lift your head and start to drink. You're part of my family now. Let me close with one more story. We, we took our kids to a pediatrician uh, a few months after we'd adopted them. Uh, this pediatrician specialized in African kids. Maybe we're foolish, but we just thought, you know what, there's probably some sicknesses or conditions maybe that are unique to Africa that Australian doctors aren't familiar with. Call us paranoid, but we just wanted someone to just look over them one more time. Just make sure they're all right. And so this doctor, he's examining them and he, he says, so how are they doing? I said, they're doing brilliant. Like we put them on their little bouncy things and they just stare at the ceiling. They don't grumble, grizzle or complain. Like we've got friends, their kids are the biggest whingers. Our kids, silence. They just sit there looking at the ceiling. We're thinking of doing seminars around the country on parenting because clearly we've got this nailed. The pediatrician said to us, don't get ahead of yourselves. Think about it. The first six months of their life, they were in an orphanage with lots of other children. They've been conditioned not to grizzle or complain because they've been taught there's no point. You can grizzle and complain all you like, but your nappy's getting changed when someone gets to it and not before. You can grizzle and complain that you're hungry, but get in line. You'll get your food when all the other kids get theirs. There's no one coming for you. And so they've just learned there's no point grizzling, complaining or moaning. But he assured us that would change. And it has. I'll be on the phone to Pastor John and we're just talking. And I've got this African kid pulling at my pants saying, Dad, I'm like, get off, get him on the phone. And then I realized that there is a miracle. Because there was a time in that kid's life when he didn't think there was anyone. I'm just trying to watch football on TV. And from the other end of the house, two boys are yelling, Dad, Dad. I'm thinking, just walk down the hallway and talk to me normally. Instead of yelling at me, I'm about to get angry at them until I remind myself it's a mir- that that's a breakthrough that they're yelling from the other end of the house. Because there was a time in their lives when they didn't think there was anyone listening and certainly no one for them. Now they realize I am at their beck and call. Their life has improved, mine is miserable. <laughs> there was a time in my life when you'd lie in bed in the darkness and wonder if anyone knew your thoughts, your pain, your fears. You feel alone in a vast, empty universe. And, and then you come to a church like this and you hear that there's a God who not only created everything but who wants relationship with us, even to the point He wants us to be His children. And for the first time in your life, you realize you're not alone. For the first time in your life, you realize, you know what, whatever it is that you're carrying, you don't have to bear that burden on your own, but there's a God who loves changes and transforms everything if you can understand the little I've shared about how we adopted our kids it gives you enough of whether you've never opened a bible in your life you've never darkened the door of a church it gives you a little bit of an insight into how God cares about you Jesus when he taught the disciples to pray said I want you to pray like this our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come blah 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 the first two words are revolutionary he said when you pray I want you to pray like this our father 
This is to a culture where God was so revered that they dared not even say His name and would never write His name because God was so distant and holy and above. And yet Jesus says, here's how I want you to think of God. When you pray, pray our Father, Abba, Daddy. When you realize the closeness that God invites us to enjoy with Him as children relating to a father, it changes everything about the way you see God, the way you see yourself, and the way you see your Monday. When you realize, I am a child of God. We're going to pray for two things. Firstly, we're going to pray for every person in this place who says, James, I'm actually not right with God. You don't need a preacher to tell you when you're not right with God. You know that in your own heart. I didn't need a preacher to tell me I wasn't right with God. I knew that. What I needed was someone to tell me it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. God loves you. And if you would take a small step towards Jesus, he would come running toward you. There'll be people in this place this morning who've never made their peace with God. You've never said yes to Jesus. I'm not asking if you've been to church before. Maybe you have. I'm not asking if you're a religious kind of a person. Perhaps you are. I'm asking, has there ever been a moment in time when you stopped and made a deliberate decision to say yes to Jesus? If you've never said yes to Jesus before, in a moment, not now, but in a moment, it would be my joy and privilege to be able to lead you in prayer so you could go home different. Why would you go home the same way you arrived? What a waste of a Sunday morning. Why wouldn't you make a shift in your heart and go home knowing that you know that you know you're right with God? The second thing I want to pray for is for people who have already made a commitment to Jesus. But you know what? You're not enjoying the confidence that you should. Let me explain. You know what would break my heart as a dad? This is a thing for me that would just make me so sad. If our kids, imagine if, if our kids went to the fridge to get a drink and, and they decide we better ask if we can get a drink. And imagine if they asked like this, hey, we, we know we're not your real kids, but would it be all right if, if they ever asked me for something with that qualification, we know we're not your real kids, but would it be, that would break my heart if they ever said that. Because I would hate for them to be so uncertain of our relationship. I mean, that's a recipe for dysfunction, is it not? If every day of their life they're thinking, well, we're not his real kids, so, so maybe, you know, tomorrow, everything's good today, but maybe tomorrow will change because we're not his real. Well, how much more when we go to God to ask for help with our needs, but we qualify it with statements like this, Lord, I, I, I know I mucked up yesterday. Lord, God, I know I don't deserve it. Lord, Lord, I know I haven't been living properly the last six months. And how often we go to God for help. But in the process, we qualify our relationship with Him as if somehow the way God feels and relates to us is so tenuous that our behavior might change it at any moment. For better or worse, I'm Joe's dad. He can't get out of it. Well, you know, when God adopts us, it's, it's not tenuous where, you know what, it might all change tomorrow. I'm a child of God. If that would break the heart of this natural father, how much more our heavenly father when we come to him for help, but we insinuate that perhaps he won't help us because our behavior or our past has changed his mind about us. Some of us are born again Christians, and yet we live every day without the confidence and assurance that God wants. And just as a naturally adopted child would end up dysfunctional, if every day they were worried their situation might change, we end up spiritually dysfunctional when every day we're questioning whether God still loves us and still relates to us as a father. Thanks for choosing to listen to the Life Source Christian Church Audio Lounge. If you like this week's podcast, then please share it with a friend.
More information about who we are is available at lifesource.org.au. On behalf of Senior Ministers John and Anne Giuliano, we look forward to connecting with you next time at the LifeSource Christian Church Audio Lounge.